that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. And I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning about motives for prayer. Motives for prayer. Everybody say, thank God for the word. Look at your neighbor and smile, shake their hand and tell them, I'm glad to see you. Thank the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. Archibald Alexander said, men are more accountable for their motives than for anything else. Men are more accountable for their motives than for anything else. And primarily, morality consists in the motives that are found in the affections. F.D. Maurice said, acts are nothing except as they are fruits of a state, they indicate what a man is. Harriet Beecher said, God made man to go by motives, and he will not go without them any more than a boat without steam or a car without gas. We're all driven by our motives, and we have to be careful of our motives. A minister said one time that he was speaking of the judgment seat of Christ and was going through the varying degrees of fire that would try our works. And he launched out with the thought that God was more concerned about our motives than he is our success. God is more concerned with our motives than with our success. He, he told us that men far too often look to the outward trappings of success in a man's life and can come to the conclusion that God must be in our efforts. He went on to say that God is not moved by our successes, but rather by our motives. There will come a time that he will test our motives to see if they are kingdom-driven or flesh-driven. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. He went on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time. In other words, you don't judge process halfway through. A farmer doesn't judge his crop by the number of seed he planted. You have to wait till harvest time. So don't judge nothing before time. He said, until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise for God. Our service to God, listen to pastor this morning, our service to God 
has to be motivated by a proper motive. You may have poor motives and good service and have the ability to fool those who are around you. There were people in the Bible that did this. Judas Iscariot seemed concerned with the poor and disdained the alabaster box being broken. Ananias and Sapphira led the early church in the book of Acts to believe that they were giving all they had when they were only giving a portion. When the Lord was performing his miracles, he proved that there were some who were merely following because they wanted the bread or the healing, but they were not interested in helping to bear his cross. Simon the sorcerer portrayed his motive when he tried to buy the gift of the Holy Ghost. And probably the most most heart-wrenching to me is Demas. Paul said, Demas has left me, has walked away from me, having loved this present world. Demas ultimately walked away because his motives were not righteous. I want to say to our church today in passing, especially in our young people, you can do whatever you want to do at church on Sunday. You can raise your hands and even speak in tongues, but it's Monday morning where it counts. And if you're here for ulterior motives, God knows the difference. He knows the difference. If you're not living for God like you should during the week, then you're not fooling anyone but yourself. It's important that your motives are right. It's not necessary to try to fool your parents. It's not necessary to try to fool your spouse and to even fool the pastor into thinking you're a fine child of God when your heart is somewhere else. You're only fooling yourself. Everybody say amen. So you can have good service in the kingdom of God and have poor motives directing you. If you try to serve the Lord with the wrong motive, in the long run, it will come to nothing. This particular text that I read in Exodus 8 this morning has been preached through the years from a dozen different ways. In years past, Old brother Alan Ogg, some of you will remember him. Brother and sister Nixon would remember him. Others today would. He was well known for the preaching of a sermon. He preached it almost everywhere he went, and he titled it, One More Night with the Frogs. The gist of brother Ogg's message back in those days is that people are willing to live with a lot of sinful things a lot of less than ideal situations in their life. There's people here this morning that have chosen to live, and you're willing to live with a lot of sinful and less than ideal situations in your life. You're willing to spend one more night with the frogs. I hope you understand what the frogs mean. When God was in the process of delivering the children of Israel from the land of Egypt in the book of Exodus. 
He brought ten plagues to the nation of Israel, or to the nation of Egypt. And frogs was one of those plagues. And it has fascinated every student of the Bible, every preacher, every Sunday school teacher, that Pharaoh said, I want to get rid of the frogs, but not now. If you'll pray that God will get rid of these frogs out of my life tomorrow, I'm willing to spend another night with the frogs. That is the very short story behind my text today. So there's people here today that have chosen to live with the frogs. That was the gist of Brother Og's message. I want to go in a bit of a different direction with this text today, particularly concerning prayer and how we pray. It's amazing how that God uses various means of judgments throughout the Word of God to try to get His people to turn back to Him. He's used lions and lice. He's used famines and flies. He's used the sun or even caterpillars. He's used a steady beat of rain to overwhelm the mountains. He used that same rain to bog down the chariots of Sisera. He used angels or dust to accomplish his will. So now we come to the place where God is going to use a bunch of frogs to humble the great and mighty Pharaoh of Egypt. There's a lot of irony in God's judgment of Egypt because one of their deities, they were a society that had a plural gods. They had lots of gods. And one of their deities was a frog. On the graves of the Egyptians was frog-headed goddesses that they worshipped. So God asked, you love frogs? Good. I can give you all the frogs you want. And I want everybody to understand this morning that when God sent this plague of frogs, Frogs were everywhere. The Bible said they were everywhere. There were frogs in the rivers, the creeks, and the swamps. There were frogs in their living room, in the den, in the kitchen, the bedroom, in the bathroom. There were frogs in the bread box. There were frogs in the sugar canister. There were frogs in the coffee container. There were frogs in their oven. You might would say today, here a frog. There a frog, everywhere a frog, frog. Old Mac Pharaoh had a frog, E-I-E-I-O. And why Pharaoh would want to spend one more night with the frogs is a mystery to me. I don't want one in my house. Egypt reached the point, however long this plague lasts, They reached the point, and understandably so, that they were sick of frogs. Listen to pastor this morning. God has a sure way of reaching proud hearts, and it doesn't take him very long to get with a program when he has a desire to do so. He can put a rich man by the wayside and make him beg. He can take a healthy man and strike his body and make him cry. He can take relationships and turn them against us 
so that we cry out to him. It may not be frogs, but he can take the things we worship and use them effectively to strifle our flesh. And it is imperative that every person in this building remember that statement. Don't curse the frogs. It could be the very thing that will ultimately save you. God took those frogs. Thank you, Noah. God took those frogs and changed Pharaoh's heart towards Moses and Aaron. Pharaoh suddenly begins to value what he had earlier despised. I had little use for those men, Moses and Aaron, a few days ago, but my trouble has changed my heart towards them. Would you bring them to me so I could have a little talk with them? I want everyone to understand that there's times in our lives that you've been involved with people like that. You may have had a fellow employee who despised your Christian lifestyle, but when cancer struck or their spouse left or their child got into trouble, you suddenly become the person that they want to see the most. I've lived that and I've experienced that. If I may say today in the absence of the Alexander family, and talking to them just several days ago, Sister Alexander shared with us Brother Alexander's conversion. He gave his heart to God when he was about 37 years old. And uh, they married when he was 30. And uh, at 31 years of age, Brother Alexander was stricken with pleurisy. It's a condition that affects your lungs. It ran rampant in those days, but in particular, it ran rampant in his family. And back in those days, it was pretty much of a death sentence. Sister Alexander expressed how that his family, Brother Alexander's mother and his siblings would make fun of the Pentecostals. He would mock, they would mock them speaking in tongues and how they danced and rejoiced. But when he came down with pleurisy, all of a sudden that tune changed. And now they were calling on those crazy Pentecostals to pray for their son and their brother that had been diagnosed with essentially a death sentence. And God healed him. And there was no trace of it found in his body uh, months later after the fact. I want to tell you today, child of God, there may be people in your life right now that persecute you. But give God some time. And let them spend a little bit of time with some frogs in their life and they'll be calling you and say, I need your prayers. I need some help. I need for somebody to reach out to God on my behalf. So I encourage you, don't take a situation like this personal. It was just the wrong spirit that was in them that hated the right spirit that was in you. Go ahead and hear them out and pray with them and help them the best that you can. Bethel got defied by a king named Jeroboam. Bethel means the house of God, a small town. 
Jeroboam set up a few golden calves near the altar of God and begins to cry out against those altars. And, uh, but it was the grace of God that sent a prophet to Bethel just about the time that he got started. Jeroboam was insulted by this and commanded that his men take the prophet captive. The words had hardly gotten out of his mouth when God smote Jeroboam and his hand withered by his side and hung totally useless. It's amazing that Jeremiah begins to plead with a prophet. He said, entreat the Lord for me. Entreat the Lord for me. A persecutor is now groveling at the feet of the one he had had the intent on destroying. Another example in the word of God is found when Saul was being tormented by the Philistines. He needs a voice and direction in his life. So he sneaks off and finds a witch, the witch of Endor, the Bible said, and he prevails on her to conjure up the voice of Samuel, a voice that had sternly rebuked him in days gone by. And now Saul finds himself being consoled with words of comfort by this voice that he had despised. Charles Spurgeon said, when ungodly men get into straits. How they wish they could consult with someone who has gone home against whom they pointed many a jest. They never say, bring me up the jolly fellow who filled and quaffed the bowl with me. In their tribulation, they think not of such. They never cry, bring me up the harlot with whom I sported in sin that I may enjoy her company. Nay, in their distress, they desire other advice they would cry, bring me up my holy mother. Oh, in the sight of her dear loving face as I saw her on that dying bed when she urged me to follow her to heaven. Bring me up that old friend who I ridiculed when I turned aside from the ways of God. Oh, for an hour with the man of God whom I once scorned. Such is Pharaoh in that position now. Call for those men who told me to let the people go. Call for me those men who I disdain and despise. Call me those men that were former slaves. Joseph was hated. He was a hated brother and sold as a slave. But there came a day when his brothers bowed to him. Jeremiah thrown into a sewer pit. But Zedekiah changed his tune about Jeremiah when Babylon surrounded his city. Look no further than the gate of dives. After his death, the rich man is now looking for a poor saint called Lazarus. Prayer becomes very valuable when you're in a place of trouble. It becomes that one tool that people will resort to. They'll tell you in a service like this one, when everything in their life is okay, that I don't know how to pray, but let a family member pass away, and then all of a sudden, prayer becomes something they want to pull out of a toolbox, so to speak, and begin to pray. I've oftentimes been amused by the rulings of our federal government when they say you can't pray in school. And you can't pray in a place owned and operated by the federal government. But you let an airplane start crashing. There's no rules against prayer when that happens. 
There's no rules against prayer at the bedside of a dying family member. There's no rules against prayer when your life is falling apart. There's a changed perception about prayer that happens in the lives of people. And it becomes a very valuable commodity when you're in trouble. Men pursue God when they get into trouble. They may not pray, but they want someone praying for them. Even if they cannot pray for themselves, there's a bit of faith that they have when they seek after those who can pray. All can be well. And during that time, there isn't really any need to pray, is there? I have a good job, so there's no need to pray, is there? I have a good marriage, no need to pray. I have a healthy body, no need to pray. I have wonderful, well-behaved, well-adjusted kids. There's really no need to pray, is there? Everything I touch turns to gold. There's no need to pray. But when the job situation changes, when the marriage starts going south, when our health is questioned, when our kids get in trouble, when what you touch turns sour, then people say, can you come pray with me? Can we have a prayer revival? Where are those mighty prayer warriors now? I need somebody to entreat God on my behalf. Can you start up a prayer chain, Pastor? We need to pray. I've seen this all of my life. And I've never understood the essence of human logic. I'm not going to pray, Pastor, when things are good. Only when my life starts falling apart. I've seen people that's gone through all measure of difficulty and trial, catastrophic events in their life, and you can't keep them out of the altar. You can't keep them out of a prayer room. But when all of that's blown over and their lives go back to some relative normal, if you will, then all of a sudden the praying stops. The worldliness starts back up. The sin starts back up. It's almost like you use God. You patronize God. I need you when I'm hurt but I don't need you when everything is okay. And it is this mentality, especially in our American culture, that has developed in us the wrong motives for prayer. We have this misconstrued, we have this retarded Ah, mentality about God and about who God is and how he works. So the crux of this whole message is this. We can pray with the wrong motive. How we pray when we get in trouble brings us often into the brotherhood of Pharaoh. It's not that we're praying or not. It's how we are praying He just thought he might pray, but he didn't really pray. I want everybody to listen. I want everybody to listen. If this isn't applicable to you now, it will be later. He said, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me. Your life and worship deserves your mind. You have to think hard and stay humble in your walk with God. I'm frequently amazed when I hear people sum up their lives in a, no, in a number of ways. It says, 
I have my relationship with God under control. I hear people say that often. And as pastor, if I care about that person, I'm going to look you straight in the eye and say, no, you don't. When you know your child is failing in school and you ask them, how are you doing in school? And they say, everything's fine. As a parent, you look at them and say, no, it's not. I know it's not. There's a place that we all must come to, that we have to keep our relationship with God honest, and we have to keep our relationship with God transparent. God's not a fool, and he was not born last night. He's been in the business of human nature for a long time, and he knows your heart, he knows your mind, and he knows your motives. When I meditate and think on Scripture and watch the life of those men on the pages of Scripture, I'm humbled. Sometimes I'm discouraged by it. But other times I'm motivated and I'm encouraged all at the same time. I know that what God had and did for them, He can do the same for any of us. It's just a matter of paying the price and taking what the Lord has for all of us. One of those places that God seeks most of all to help us is in that place of prayer. When you talk to God, He wants you to talk to Him, but He wants you to talk to Him right. You demand, if you're a parent here today, you demand that your children talk to you right. I've said this many times, and I'll say it again because it's applicable at this point. I never allowed shouting in my house. I'm not deaf, I'm not hard of hearing, and there's not a tractor running in our living room. You don't have to talk loud to me. I don't like it. I never have liked it. I still don't like it. When it gets too loud, either I'm going to make it get quiet, except when I'm preaching. I want to see you, Sister Yvonne, after church. <laughs> But when it comes to my house, and I could go on and on, there's a long list of things that Sister Murphy and I do not tolerate in our home. But when my kids would talk to me, you're going to talk to me in a proper tone of voice, and you're not going to be emotional. If you start, if you're angry, if you're crying, just be quiet till you get over it. Because when you're emotional, you say stupid stuff. I hate you, Daddy, and I never want to see you again. I'm never going to talk to you again. I want to run away from home. You're emotional. You don't mean any of that. I know you don't mean it, so there ain't no point in saying it. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Y'all got me? When you talk to God, it's imperative that you talk to Him the right way if you want Him to hear you. I want you to notice that when Pharaoh approached Moses and Aaron with his petition, I want to show you three things today that's, that's right in prayer, right motives in prayer. Pharaoh said, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me. What's missing in that prayer? 
Is anything missing? There's no repentance. There's no confession of sin. It is a prayer that is proud. It's God, you can save my sorry hide, but don't expect anything else to change. And when we come to God and we want God to take away our problems and we want God to take away our trouble, God will say, okay, but there are some things I want you to do for me. Is that not fair? Or do you think God is just a big giant Santa Claus that passes out things with no accountability and no responsibility? There's no confession of sin. The prayer is proud. He should have prayed, God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of rebelling against you and your will. Forgive me for mistreating your people. But Pharaoh loves his sin just as he's much now as he did in the beginning. Somewhere in our praying, it has to be marked with a brokenness of spirit. There ought to be some tears in our praying. The Bible said in Psalm 34, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, the psalmist said, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Have you ever been there? I have. I'm sure most of you have. If we come to God any other way in our praying, we come to him as a proud Pharisee. That's bottom line saying, I thank God that I'm not like other men. What kind of praying? That kind of praying will never create a nearness to God. But it's the publican's prayer that got God's attention when he said, be merciful unto me because I'm a sinner. God, help me to show a high priority on being faithful to your house. Help me to control my passions and my flesh. Help me to have more wisdom and grace than what I have. Help me to be willing to sacrifice even more in a land that shuns sacrifice. Help me to love the lost without any strings attached. Have you ever been in that place of prayer? That kind of praying is soul cleansing. It does not ask for relief from the frogs. It asks God to fill us with holiness, righteousness, and peace. And then we pursue his will. Prayer that has the wrong motives is one that is marked by just wanting relief from the frogs. Get rid of these frogs. Someone who is sick may cry out, take away this sickness. Someone who is bound by habits may cry out, get me out of this poverty. Someone who is filled with trouble may cry out, take away this trouble. Someone who has been disgraced may cry out, get rid of this disgrace and dishonor that has come on me. Someone who is uh, having a harvest of their past sins may cry out, save me from this harvest of my past behavior. There's nothing inherently wrong about praying 
for the Lord to deliver you of these calamities. But what is the root problem? And this is where Pharaoh lives. Take away the frogs when he should be praying. Help me with this hard heart that I have. He said, take away the frogs when he should have prayed, change my way of thinking. He prayed, take away the frogs when he should have prayed, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He prayed, take away the frogs, but he should have prayed, God, help me make restitution for my sin. Prayer is not about physical and emotional relief. It's about a relationship with God. Prayer in its highest form wants to lay to waste the root of the problem of our sin and our wrongdoing in our life. So prayer is an opportunity for spiritual transformation. Prayer is an opportunity for spiritual transformation to take place in our lives. Not necessarily to ask for deliverance from the frogs, but it is an old pattern that starts early in Scripture. Listen very carefully. Cain murdered his brother Abel. It wasn't long before God confronts him and tells him the penalty that he will, that will be paid for his sin. He doesn't express the first point of regret or repentance. He only whines that my punishment is greater than I can bear. Mercy could have been received from God, but he did not use the opportunity to want to change his heart, his mind, and his direction. Another example is found with Esau. He sold his birthright for a mess of pottage, but through that he became marked as a profane person. He never repented for his actions. The Bible indicates that he sought, he sought it. He sought it carefully with tears, but he failed, and he was never able to get it back. Another example is found in the book of Acts with Simon the sorcerer. He wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Ghost, and for this, Peter rebuked him. He said, Simon, you'll have to deal with the gall of bitterness and bonds of your iniquity. He went on to say, you will perish with your money. But Simon's response was that he prayed that the Lord not put these things on him when he should have prayed, Lord, no matter how many frogs I have to endure, save me from myself. Prayer has to be a moment for us to pray for spiritual transformation to take place. It's not going to take place at a retreat. It's not going to take place at a seminar. It's not going to take place at a support group. Bottom line, if you want to change and be what God wants you to be, it'll happen when you fall down on your face before God and you pray and call out to God with the right motives. Change me into what you want me to be, no matter what that takes. Motives for prayer. We have to understand that God wants to have a relationship with us, but it has to be for the right reason. Spiritual transformation takes place in the closet. It takes place in an altar. What do you desire for God to do? What do you want God to do in your life? What prayers do you want answered? And how are you praying them? You will make large progress when you humble yourself in a place of prayer and ask God to willingly provide you with the things that you have need of. I'll never forget hearing this story about our beloved brother James Kilgore who has gone on to his 
fantastic reward. Many years ago, he was pastoring his first church somewhere in East Texas. He worked hard as, and as diligently as he possibly could to bring revival to that church, but it was a hard place. And nothing would come easy to that neck of the woods, and he spent much time in discouragement trying to get people hungry for something they really didn't even want. Late one summer, he told Sister Kilgore that he was going to the church, and he was going to be there for at least three days to fast for prayer and revival. He told about how on the afternoon of the second or third day, he went up into the attic of that old clapboard church, crawled up in the attic space, and began to pray. When he was telling the story, he admitted it wasn't probably the smartest thing to do, but he was so desperate for revival and harvest to come to that little church that nothing else seemed too big to pay for what he wanted God to do. He said it wasn't long in that prayer meeting that sweat and tears began to mingle, but there was such desperation in his heart for God to transform him and to change that little church into a powerhouse of revival. He said that God, he said that great retching cries marked his prayer. And it was in that little attic that God did some things personally to him that would mark him for years to come. I've shared this story often, and I'll not go into a lot of detail with it today, but 2006 was a very difficult time for Sister Murphy and I the entire year. Some of you remember it. At the entire, at the end of 2006, towards the end of it, we lost a third of our church. And as a matter of fact, Sister Yvonne and Sister Murphy and I rehearsed this story just a week or so ago. She was there. She remembers it. As a matter of fact, she sang that Sunday morning after all those people left. And, uh, Probably one of the hardest services we ever went through. But I decided, Brother Billy, I wanted to quit. God got on me and he spanked me hard for that. So I came to the conclusion and realization, realization that God wasn't going to let me out of this misery. He's going to get me through it. And so beginning in January of 2007, Went to the church every day, Monday through Friday. Got there about 9 o'clock, stayed at 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Pursuit of a move of God. Finally ended up after some 40, 50 days of this. God blessed me with a manifestation of his presence that I'll never forget. And I want to tell you guys, large in part, what we see here today is a byproduct of that prayer meeting. Not that God made something special out of me. But he did something to my head. You know what? I was up here yesterday afternoon. Tears streaming. Praying for our church. Praying for our future. And Brother Merrill, God began to move on me. And I can tell you folks honestly and sincerely that God filled me up with the baptism of the Holy Ghost yesterday in a way that I've never experienced in my life. I was walking across here, and there was one point it literally felt like my feet were off the floor. I can't describe it. As a matter of fact, Brother Phil, I put my money where my mouth is, and I said, God, I want to worship, and I want to take your presence out of my tradition, and I want to worship you the way you want to be worshipped. 
And I ran the aisles, Patrick. Where is he? There he is. Thought you was over there. I ran the aisles yesterday. I didn't need a pinch runner. But I sat out around this church all by myself yesterday. And I had an amazing time. And I was reminded again the value of praying with proper motives. I just want a move of God in my life, and I'm experiencing it right now. It started a week or two ago. I shared some of that with Brother Dave Bunch. He preached a message several weeks ago and just titled it, Done. He has no idea what that message did to me. Nailed me between the eyes. There's people here today that you've become content to live with frogs in your life. I don't know why. You have told me that you know what God wants you to do. You know where God wants you to be. You know how God wants you to live. But somehow or another, Brother Ben, we, we just learned how to deal with the frogs. So if we need a cup of coffee, we just empty the container. We don't know if they've squirted that stuff in there or not, but we drink it. We get in bed at night and just shake the, all the frogs off the sheet. And wake up at 2 in the morning and get up and have to shake them out of the bed again. But we've learned how to live like that. And I don't know why we do. Because with proper motivation and prayer and a commitment to a relationship with God, God can get rid of those frogs. And you won't have to do that anymore. The things that torment you, the things that hold you back, the things that keep you from getting your feet underneath you, temptation, the world, sin, habits, mindsets, perspective, the way you think, the way you act, the way you believe about yourself. There's people here today, your self-esteem is so low, it's a negative number. I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. I don't like myself. How can anybody else like me? There's people here today that feel like you never will succeed at anything. Why are you living with frogs? God said that he looks at you like you're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. He died, man, and poured blood out of his body for you. And what is preventing you from progressing is you pray. Oh, I've seen you up here, tears just streaming, and you'll talk in tongues, but Monday morning, you go back home and you open the door and let all the frogs back in. Frogs, that's the stupidest thing in the planet. I don't know why God chose that little critter that's just stupid. Frogs. He didn't use serpents. They weren't biting them and killing them. It was a frog. They're, by most people's imagination, nasty. And if you pick them up wrong, they squirt stuff all over you. It's just gross to have hundreds and hundreds of frogs in your house. But Pharaoh said, I'm willing to live like that one more night. So God, if you want to get rid of the frogs out of my life, if you'll just wait 24 hours, I'd appreciate it. I want to tell you folks here today, everybody in this building, including me, none of us are living at the place 
where God could be the most ultimate blessing in our life because we've learned to live with the negative and the depressing and the blaming and not taking personal responsibility and never really learning how to approach God properly. I'm here to tell you today, first and foremost, if you'll confess your sin, God is not trying to make you feel abased and worthless and useless. That's not the point. He just wants you to be honest that I'm really not that great of a person. And if you'll do that, he'll help you be a better person. And then a transformation starts taking place in your life. And you never let the frogs in again. If you'll stand with me this morning, I know people, for example, that quit smoking. Smoked for years, like a hundred years. They've smoked for years. They have invested more money in tobacco. If they had to put that money into a useful cause, they could retire. I'm not exaggerating. Cigarettes, I don't know how much they are. Anybody know? You might incriminate yourself, so be careful. If you know how much they cost, then how do you know if you're not buying them? What are they, five, six bucks a pack, something like that? Three packs a day? Two packs a day? My word, man. That amounts to a lot of money seven days a week, 365 days a year until you're about 70 years old. That's a lot of money. But I've known people that God has delivered them from that. And something catastrophic happens in their life. And instead of turning to God, they go back to that. I've known alcoholics. God delivered them just like that. No withdrawal, nothing. Jack beamed down the toilet. John beamed, whatever his name is. And something happened in their life. And boom, they're right back at it. You open the door. And you let the frogs in, man. And there'll be people come up here today. I hope you do. You'll come up here and repent. Say, God, I'm done with all that kind of stuff. And tomorrow morning you wake up with them old feelings. And oh, my goodness, I just miss my little frogs. I got to have a frog. I can't live without a frog in my life. I understand it sounds a bit facetious, and maybe it is. But it's also ridiculous when you don't have to. I don't want to walk through my living room and squash a frog. I don't want to sit down on one. I don't want to want to thump one out of my plate. I don't want it in my head. I don't want it in my life. And there's people here today, God could summarily change your life for the better. If you would approach him with a little repentance and confession and say, God, I'm sorry. And let God begin to transform your life. And you say, God, I'll be what you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Now, if you want to live with frogs in your life, that's fine. That's your business, but I'm trying to offer you a way to get rid of the frogs. Motives and prayer. You want a better marriage? You want your kids to be better? You want your home to be better? Start getting rid of frogs, man. Get rid of that junk. You have anger issues? Bring it to God. Go to therapy, man. Do something. You're depressed and negative all the time. Change that, man. There's things that happen in life that are good. 
that's trying to help somebody. So this morning while they're playing softly, I'm going to ask you to come pray. Everybody in the building, everybody, our guest, everybody, would you come up here and just talk to God for a few minutes and tell God how it really is. I'm not trying to get rid of the frogs. I just want my life to be better. I want my home to come on. If you want it, if you want it different, come on. There's no point in playing around with it. You don't have to spend another five minutes with the frogs. Get rid of that junk, man. Get it out of your life. Get it out of your mind. Get it out of your heart. There's people here this morning, you've opened the door to frogs, and they're starting to invade your life. They're starting to crowd in around you. You know what to do. Come do it. Come do it. Come do it. Take your heart and say, God, here I am. God, here I am.